0: Hi there and welcome to Product Storyteller. My name is Stuart Noyce and this is my personal podcast where I dive into stories of and about product innovation, the crucially important process that satisfies unmet need with unique value. From the origins of the internet to the future of crypto platforms, from Haas MBA classmates to Burning Man makers, I cover the ground where entrepreneurs and business leaders create new value with a wisdom that ensures our shared future. Product Storyteller explores the durable edge of free market capitalism, where people practice restraint and live in community with one another. If you love it, give it a great review and subscribe on iTunes or elsewhere to catch every interview that's coming. My very special guest for this episode is Erica Blair, brand messaging expert and world traveler. Earlier this year, Erica helped me refresh my personal brand. Through our time together, I came to see her process as one of the many paths one must take on the way to the durable edge of capitalism. That's why I asked her for this interview. There are two very important points to take away from what you are about to hear. First, Erica calls for each of us to express why our products matter. We usually say what we offer and how it works, but we need to paint a very clear picture of why the thing that we have created matters in the world. Our clients and customers are bombarded by messages all day. They simply don't have the time to translate the technical details of what we offer into a solution to their problem. They need an anchor, which is our brand. Second, we should be thinking big. What is our audacious vision? Erica sees a vision of decentralization, of reconfiguring the way that we distribute value in community. Though you might know this vision is blockchain or crypto, Erica reminds us that there is more to this movement than technology. There is enormous opportunity to add value and create wealth here but we need to express this opportunity in terms of why. So what makes positioning and vision a path to the durable edge of capitalism? As economic value builds from value, then we can imagine ourselves better off as a community when everyone in the community is engaged. That means we all add value to meet unmet needs and have our own needs met. Erica is constantly, persistently working with clients to get them into a hyper-niche where they are special and valued. This is their positioning, where they add the most value, which can be seen where their solutions relieve the pain of the customers they target. Everyone wins. Her clients make more money and work efficiently. The client's customers with unmet needs are now satisfied. Such win-win outcomes are the foundation of civil society and are especially important when companies are introducing disruptive innovations. The big audacious vision that changes the world needs to make sure that no one is left behind. That is why Erica's brand messaging practice matters and why I am pleased to call her my friend. Let's listen now. Hi, my name is Stuart Noyce. I'm here with Erica Blair at Node Worldwide at 1011 Kearney and we are gonna do a quick podcast interview. Erica, it is great to see you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Stuart.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, we know each other a little bit, which is great. And you were on a panel that I did in the, in the summer, which was pretty awesome
1: we had some good chats then we yeah, did a we really, really diverse panel
0: talked storytelling at that point mm-hmm. um, well i'd like to to cover a number of things uh you know maybe uh, we can just start off by just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what makes you special
1: yeah um so my name is erica blair i always say that the thing that i do is i help reverse engineer emotional resonance um, my theory is that if you want to um, help anybody make a different decision in life, change their behavior, take an action or disrupt a pattern um, that they're currently in, the first thing that you need to do is make them feel something. Um, And people act when they feel something. And so what I do is I help, uh, especially technical projects, think about how to make people feel something when um, hearing about the work that they're doing in the world. And so, what that looks like is everything from um, aligning the team's internal vision so that everybody's on the same page about what is the change that we're trying to make in the world, to communicating that externally. Um, thinking through the brand messaging, thinking through uh, what words are we putting to this to communicate um, uh, the value of the the work that we're doing and the bigger vision of the product itself, um, and then. I think about it from the uh, side of experience and activation as well. And so it kind of carries through to what does it take to um, actually have somebody feel something in person and be present with other people and, and kind of think in a new way um, based on the experience that they're having. And so I look at all of those things in tandem. Um, I would say m- what I have made my mark in primarily has been in the messaging side and uh, helping companies find words to express the visions that they're putting out there in the world.
0: Okay, you called that emotional resonance.
1: Yeah, reverse engineering emotional resonance.
0: Okay, uh, does this uh, is it, how did you come to be so good at this?
1: Uh, well, I think probably through a trial and error. Right, we all kind of start off by um, thinking, okay, you know, I here's the what, here's the. Here's the things that I'm selling. And you just try to lead with, okay. here's the bullet points. You'll get this, 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 and this. And then end up scratching your head saying, why didn't that work? Why didn't people click buy? Why didn't people feel like that was an important decision or change to make? Um, And this is the thing that I see almost every single team that I work with starting off with, is that when you've built something, you have a really clear understanding of what it is and how it works. what people tend to have less of a clear understanding of is why it matters and why people will care. Um, And so as I was doing all of this work as a marketer, I kept finding that um, the companies that I was working with didn't have a really clear idea of who they were targeting, how they were going to communicate with them, um, and how they were going to attempt to enroll those people into the vision of the work that they were doing. Um, and so, you know, just in terms of actually reverse engineering for outcomes, if we wanted to make people act and change what they were doing, we also had to make, change the way that they were um, communicating and the way that they were inspiring people to um, kind of partake in whatever sort of change that they're looking to enable in the world.
0: Is this something you did? I know that you grew up in Palo Alto. Yeah. So is this something that you picked up while you were there? Is it something that um, you were always thinking about this? Or you know, where where, where was maybe the origin of this kind of work?
1: Um, I would say not in Palo Alto. <laughs> um, I so I did grow up in Palo Alto, but then I spent about 15 years away from the Bay Area, um, mm-hmm. traveling the world. And so um, the the thing that I like to the way I like to think about that trajectory is that. I grew up as pretty much one of the first digital natives. I'm in my mid 30s now. Um, and that, I, it was like I was featured on, in stories about there being kids on the internet when I was like nine, 10 years old, um, because it was still a kind of novel concept to have children um, be on the internet at all at that time. Um, and so I grew up speaking the language of tech. And then I spent my adult life exploring the rest of the world, exploring the people who do not consider themselves techies, who do not um, speak the language of Silicon Valley. Um, And so in my professional life, I see myself as sort of a translator in between those two worlds, um, helping to um, make the products that are coming out of Silicon Valley uh, be something that people who are not necessarily identified as techies, um, something that's accessible to them, something that they can participate in, especially when we're talking about products that will and are changing the world. I see huge value in including diverse voices in bringing, um, a lot of people into that, the conversation. Um, and so, um, uh, from, it goes from that angle, and then it also goes to, like, say you're uh, a project that has some very technical product. How do you make people care about it? How do you take people who do not necessarily have the deep technical knowledge necessary to understand the nuts and bolts of what you're doing, and how do you explain to them what it is you're doing in a way that makes them say, oh, that's cool, that's interesting. I'd like to know more about that. Um, and so bridging that gap is um, my goal. Um, and I would say, you know, in terms of where this came from, I, I um, at one point had my very first business was an import business. I was um, selling to people face to face. And that's a really interesting um, growth chamber when you're trying to learn about how to um, use words <laughs> to uh, induce outcomes. Um, And from there, I started to develop the online presence. I started to get into doing social media marketing. um, And I discovered that people were ready to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on putting some content out there because they could all see that the internet demands content. I need to make content about the things that I'm doing. and yet, they didn't have a clear idea of who they were targeting, how they wanted to speak to them, and what it would take to actually make them feel excited.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was going to ask you. By the way, I think you're a fantastic salesperson. I think that's maybe your secret power. Um, we can. We. It's not so secret anymore because we just <laughs> talked about it. But uh, the thing that that I take away from there is, I was looking for uh, unmet need mm-hmm. in your answer. Mm-hmm. I was like. What is the need? What is why? I was always wondering why were you searching the world? Why have mm-hmm. you been globe trotting? Right? Mm-hmm. What did, what got you on a plane? Mm-hmm. Because I, every time I, I try to get a hold of you, it's like international woman of Mysteries. Like where are you? You know? Are you in Switzerland? Mm-hmm. You're in, you know. Anyway, um, what I what I'm coming away from there is the unmet need could be in the the people who don't know anything about the technology. Or it could be in the brand that needs to reach them. Mm -hmm. And where do you think the greatest dissatisfaction lies?
1: I think it's really important to remember that uh, people have limited bandwidth. And so very, very, very few people are actually actively going out and looking for um, new inputs and things to be different. what happens is that they're enticed to put their attention on new things when they are exciting, inspiring, notable. Um, And so the onus is really on businesses to present ideas and present concepts and present their products in a way that is exciting, interesting, inspiring, and notable to the people who they're trying to reach because um, people out there are not going to be seeking to learn about what you're doing. It's uh, your responsibility to um, in- get them to notice you. Um, and so uh, there's, you know, when we, t- we, you and I were talking earlier about um, the, some of the ways that messaging and marketing has changed over the last few decades. And I think that that's one of the major things that we've seen over um, you know especially the last decade um, is that given the glut of content and given the availability of all kinds of ideas all kinds of products people are actually overwhelmed Um, and so when you think about what cuts through the noise um, there's a degree to which it's not uh, you can never take for granted that you're going to have somebody's attention because you absolutely won't um, as a marketer and so Thinking through what it's going to take to actually make something feel very, very interesting, intriguing, inspiring to somebody is the entire game of what it takes to market in this day and age.
0: Okay, so take us through the uh, the solution that you offer for that because that sounds like, okay, we've got, got, we got a brand messaging consulting business here, and mm-hmm. we're going to have some work to do in each of these situations to cut through that clutter and to get clear.
1: Yep. Um, so I think of it as a four-step process Um, and brand messaging actually is the very last step most people would presume that that would be the first thing that we come up with Um, but my theory is that there's three things that come before you can do brand messaging Um, one you have to have a really clear um, understanding um, and articulation of what it is that you are doing to change the world how will the world be different if and when you succeed what is it that you would like to create in terms of um, a different sensation for people every single day when they wake up? What is um, the, the big overarching um, concept of the change that you're looking to create? And this is something that, you know, it's, it, it, in a way, to me, it seems like it'd be kind of obvious, but what I find over and over and over again is that people build products and they are not necessarily very clear on the articulation of how they want the world to be if and when they succeed. And especially, uh, most people haven't done a lot of work into digging into what are the bold, unusual, controversial angles about the thing that I want to build. And not understanding that if you just try to say, like, this is something that would be good for everybody and not, and rather than segmenting into like a controversial angle that would actually turn some people off, it's a lot harder to build a tribe and to build an identity around your product if you haven't done the work prior um, of understanding who you're for and who you're not for and what the, the, the kinds of things that you wanna create in the world. Um, so the, the second component of it is really digging into that audience and the who component Um, and understanding that um, trying to be for everyone is to be for no one. And so you're not going to be able to create mass adoption through messaging that is targeted to be for, quote-unquote, everyone. Um, Blandness is actually your enemy when it comes to standing out. Digging into um, what makes you somebody that, that, or a company that a lot of people would disagree with, is actually the cornerstone of messaging. Um, And so understanding who you're targeting and what inspires them, what they need to hear to feel passionate, to feel emotion, um, is a really, really critical component. Um, And it's the thing that I would say 95% of messaging problems usually come down to. Um, If you have um, a lack of clarity about who you're talking to and what they need to hear, then it's going to be impossible to convey what you're doing in a way that actually inspires anybody. Um, Because you can come up with, here's what we're doing in a vacuum, but if it's not held up to and related to um, somebody's experience of their own problems, somebody's worldview, um, then it's, who are you talking to? It's gonna end up falling flat if the, the audience is just general people. <laughs> um, so we clarify the vision is first step. Um, we dig into the target audience and the who. Um, and then the third component of all of that um, is to really think about, okay, so how is your problem, a solu- or sorry, how does your product solve some of the problems that your target audience is having? What are the solutions to pain that you're putting forth? How does your product actually create um, uh, a, a relieving of pain for the people that you're targeting. And digging into that helps you understand the positioning. Um, it helps you understand exactly what it is to dig into when you're presenting your product. Most products have so many facets that it's actually up to the founders and up to the people who are doing the communication to pick which facet to highlight. And at the very least, you have to pick which one to highlight first. And so, understanding where you're solving pain is the core of being able to access um, the the sort of emotional resonance that we're looking to create with all of this. Um, so we've got those three components. We've got the vision, we've got the audience, and we've got the positioning and sort of the, the solution side of things. Um, and then what I see, where I see brand messaging coming in is brand messaging is taking that um, that sort of trifecta that you've built and saying we're going to communicate to this audience. We're going to share with them the vision that we've created so that they get inspired about the solution that we're offering. Um, and and if you haven't done the thinking about those three components before you start doing your brand messaging, um, it, it takes a lot longer and it's a lot more challenging and a lot less effective.
0: Okay, so, um you have been uh, working with blockchain clients for a while. Mm. And uh, blockchain was real, probably really easy to sell for a while there when uh, in the maybe 2017 and the early part of 2018, people were dropping ICOs all the time. They're raising millions and millions of dollars. And uh, there's just a hype machine that's going crazy. It's really easy. You walk into a party and everyone says, yeah, blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. You got to go, go into it. Then there's an implosion. You still have clients though. So your clients must be doing some sort of differentiation, some sort of blocking and tackling that goes and says, we really have value. So maybe you could take us through what they're doing to deal with the fact that there's, the hype is gone, but now we have to get to kind of really just get back to work, right?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think the core of what the way that I approach this is that blockchain is a tool to create a certain kind of um, to, to create a certain kind of vision into reality, right? And so there's a vision, a larger vision of decentralization, of um, reconfiguring the way that we distribute value, of reconfiguring the way that humans interact. Um, those ideals and those um, concepts have not gone away whatsoever. What has changed is the ability to add blockchain into your name and instantly Um, attract a lot of retail investment. Uh, And so the companies that I work with in the blockchain space, I'm no longer specifically targeting the blockchain space, but because I've done a lot of work there, um, it's still a big part of my um, client base. Um, The companies that I'm working with now are all companies who understand and value the idea of um, burying the fact that they even are a blockchain company. Um, in a way that it probably should have always been from the start. We don't talk about the infrastructure upon which most tech products are built because it's not relevant to the end consumer. We talk about the big vision um, and we talk about um, the ways that the product's useful to people. And those are the same things that need to be expressed about any product that you're marketing. Blockchain only became this word because we One, I think we're missing terminology to talk about decentralized new economy principles, and blockchain became an interesting catch-all for sort of a bigger idea than blockchain itself. Um, uh, And so the term sort of had an overweighted meaning um, in terms of talking about a movement versus a tool. Um, And then also there was um, a bubble around investment with blockchain for a minute. And so it became a convenient tool to press on um, to say, hey, we're a blockchain company, whereas really blockchain is one of the possible mechanisms to accomplish some of the things that a lot of um, visionary forward thinking tech companies are striving to accomplish. It's not the end all be all tool. And every single messaging strategy that I do for a blockchain company is always about veering their communication away from the things that were being used uh, in 2017, 2018 to entice people into retail investment in crypto projects um, and moving them toward uh, explaining and enrolling and understanding the bigger vision of the movement that I'm still personally very passionate about and I think most of us idealists who got deeply involved in the blockchain world are still very passionate about. Um, We just need better language to describe it and we're coming up with that.
0: Sure. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more from you in that area. In particular, I feel the same optimism that comes from the community uh, and I wanted to get into uh, some of where that optimism for me lies and I think there's an intersection with, with yours. Um, but before we go there, I'd like to actually uh, explore the concept of the people who raised a lot of money. And you watch some of the leaders of these uh, platforms and they raised a lot of money and some of them just ran off with the money and some of them are, have been investing. Have you noticed uh, a difference in the, the character of you know, some of these leaders and is there something we could take away and say, you know, the good, the, the good actors, what do you think is driving them to be good actors?
1: Uh, it's to me there's a, um, when I think about the clients that I just like to work with in general, um, what is exciting to me is finding people who are, um, actually passionate about creating a whole different paradigm. Um, and so. I'm looking for people who are in it to shift the world that we live in. Um, I'm in it for people who have really bold, audacious ideas and think that they might actually work and are willing to try <laughs> and put things on the line to make that happen. Um, and so for me, that's what is the, uh, a major characteristic that I look for in people that I work with. Um, especially because from a messaging perspective, shifting a paradigm is a uh, very challenging thing to do because it takes a lot of communication. And as we, I said, you know, you can't take attention for granted. And so there's a tension there that is probably the, the thing that I find the most interesting to play with, um, which is that, when you need to explain an entire new concept of how the world could work before people can understand what your product does. Um, it puts you in a position where you can't rely on um, a lot of the typical marketing strategies where you just you know, say, we do this and here's your discounted price or so you know, you're attracted. Like, uh, what you have to do when you have a paradigm shifting product is to enroll people in an emotional connection with the vision for the world that you're aiming to create, um, and you know I, I explained a bit of the process that I used to get there, um, but it's a it's a fully different um, proposition than than uh, purely dollars and cents transactional type of marketing. Um, I've always been much more into the theoretical side of how do we communicate a big idea than I have been into the sort of like uh, scientific an- analysis of, um, of kind of like what, what generates clicks here and there. Um, and it's, it's not that those are opposites, they're actually, they feed into each other. Um, but in terms of um, thinking through the big challenges in the blockchain space, to me they're, was a convenient reliance on um, a lot of simple tricks. And what we're finding now is that we got to go a lot bigger picture in the new paradigm
0: that we're living in. Okay, excellent. So uh, there, that's probably the best answer that I've heard so far, uh, which is just that you like to work with people who have big vision. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that from my perspective, big vision for me leads to uh, a platform upon which many others can play. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of value add opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I happen to like uh, big vision and that's a great way to just look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about a place where there might be a need for vision or at least a need in the world where we both uh, I think have some intersection mm-hmm. uh, and that's in the area of, of reputation network disruption. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of thing, so we, again, in the panel, we talked about Facebook and we talked about that, and, and I'm finding in my conversations with people that there has been a, um, a shift away from reputation networks being people we knew and people we were close to or a school we went to, a job we had, you know, and, and we, we can go and we can get recommendations for the next job, that kind of thing, and now it's all on on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is in a social network and we have less control over it and that's a bit of a concern now from your perspective what do you think is the what do you feel that disruption to be and how would you characterize it
1: I'd actually push back on on uh, that statement okay which is that um, I think we have tools to consecrate reputation online um, and there's still a very large emphasis for professional services on referral and in-person connection and personal relationship Um, and that actually reputation is still very largely built um, through the sort of uh, old-school methods Um, especially when you are dealing with anything that has a non-commodified price point, um, and a uh, kind of like a you need to have some sort of like personal um, chemistry with the other people you're working with. Um, to me, those things are actually still very much operating in the ways that they always have. Um, people may be able to look you up on LinkedIn. And, but most of what I've seen is that references in that context are used just to verify that someone's a good person, not to um, tell the whole story. Um, and so I'm actually, I actually see there being a huge opportunity to um, take this more ethereal world of professional, like high-end professional services especially, um, and apply a more systematic approach to helping people find and hire people to work with. I actually think that's a big gap in the market. And I don't, like, one of the challenges is that, um, you know, for instance, like, what's happened in the past is that there have been marketplaces with reputation systems, like, for instance, Upwork, and they kind of create the conditions where it's a race to the bottom. And so if you are sort of seeing yourself as um, being in a different echelon of professional services, typically clients are still acquired through the same methods that they would have been acquired uh, by 20 or even 50 years ago, Um, which is to say, you say, hey, who should I hire for this to somebody you know and trust? Um, And so I don't know what the solution is for that, but I know that Um, I've worked with a lot of people who are looking to get hired um, in instances when I've been looking to get hired. um, It's actually hard to figure out where to start. Um, And then for people who want to um, acquire talent and want referrals, they're basically left with posting on Facebook or LinkedIn and saying, who should I hire for this? And so we still have a relatively inefficient system in terms of referral and reputation in my opinion.
0: Is it an issue of commodification and that or commoditization that we uh, that we face when we go and apply for a job and the job sort of this thing but I'm really special and unique and I don't quite fit but I'd like to be able to explain to you that I fit but I can't even get you to respond yeah right? I think that's there is a lot of friction in that way, mm-hmm. and it does keep a lot of really good people from getting into the right jobs. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, maybe we did have more referral networks and we just mm-hmm. picked up a phone. Do you think that's where we're, we're going? Is it the commoditization that's the problem?
1: I think um, people are, are 3D and resumes are 2D. Um, and so the idea that we would hire somebody based on a... Uh, flat representation of themselves um, is uh, always flawed, and that's something that's built into the model because people don't get hired generally without some sort of type of interview or something where you're kind of like putting a 3D nature to the 2D um, world. The challenge is is that ultimately we're overloaded with options, and we want we want efficient mechanisms to sort through all of the possible options that exist um, and yet the, there's a challenge to um, to really thinking through all right well how, who do I trust here and which sorting mechanisms are actually relevant to me um, and I think you know it depends on on what you're hiring for obviously there are certain jobs where it's just like I just need a person who can do it and there's other jobs where it's like, I need somebody who can really advance my thinking, and that's, that, is a, that does require chemistry between two minds to build on each other and strengthen each other's ideas, and it requires a degree of trust and psychological safety, and those are things that are very hard to map into um, any sort of... You know, algorithm or any sort of um, <laughs> yeah. You might points. you might be
0: think you're you're actually going into into a, a multi-dimensional individuals. They're just so much more complicated and much more interesting mm-hmm. than what's on a resume. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I've been on the hiring side and I've been on the you know trying to get hired side, and I don't find the resume to be that useful. I found, you know, I know somebody or, you know, we have people in the group who know people and we we bring them in and we talk to them and yeah that would be a good fit, right? Uh, or I know somebody and they call me, right? To bring to come into work. Those are places where they already know I'm a good fit and I know that that I'm going to be one that brings that kind of creative thinking to the to the group. And I, I when I when you were talking I really did home in on that one particular idea, which is that if I was just hiring someone to get a to get something quickly done, mm-hmm. just to my specification, I'd probably just want to go and hire contract work or gig work or something mm-hmm. for that. But that's not my team that I'm going to battle with. Mm-hmm. That, that group I want to be really well vetted, I know them really well, I've probably worked with them for years, yeah. and they're on, my, you know, they're on my team, they're around me, and yeah. we're just working it out what comes next.
1: Yeah, you bring up some uh, points that I've thought a lot about through a lot of the work I've done with uh, helping people build personal brands in the past, Um, which is to say that basically the challenge that every single person building a personal brand comes to me with is, oh my God, I've got so many things that I do and so much experience and so many things about me, how do I convey that outwardly? Um, And so... Uh, I always like to think about it from the perspective of, hey, you know what? You are this complex, amazing, multi-dimensional person. There is no hiding that. And also nobody's ever going to be under the illusion that you are uh, an automaton with two skills, right? At the same time, you have to give people a starting point. If people don't have a starting point, they don't have a point of reference for them to scan because we're still operating in a referral-based world. Right? so people are constantly trying to play matchmaker for each other and everybody needs to have an idea in their mind of who you are and what you can offer before they can refer you and so creating an association for the people who are potential refers if you're in the professional services world and you're looking for um, opportunities it's important that the people who um our potential refers to you have a benchmark where they can think through, okay, um, like I, I heard somebody needed a product storyteller, thereby I'm going to call Stewart because I understand that that's what he does. Right? Right. So um, having some sort of um, anchor for people is important to develop. This is why a lot of people think of me as a brand messaging person. I do a million things more than that. Um, but i'm happy with that because it means that when they hear, say hear that somebody has messaging challenges at least get involved in the conversation and from that i can yeah. start to work through all of the other opportunities for us to collaborate and that's always going to be a lot more multi-dimensional than that one service
0: well that that is a is a great place to uh to land mm-hmm. let's go from there though in in let's like um wrap this up in the area of the fragmentation of storytelling I mean mm-hmm. we were talking about this earlier and I've done a lot of launches mm-hmm. and those launches were pretty straightforward we came up with messages for our product mm-hmm. we knew exactly who was is gonna buy it mm-hmm. why they're gonna buy it what the big idea was because mm-hmm. otherwise it wasn't worth going out and talking to all the analysts mm-hmm. and all the press and you know doing the two-week tour it wasn't worth it unless you were doing something really big that seems Do people do that anymore or is it so fragmented that there's just so many different places to go and how do you even work through that now? I
1: I think a lot of people see the fragmentation as a negative thing. Um, I actually see it as a positive thing from the sense that um, we now have a greater capacity than ever before to identify and target niche markets. and it's basically uh, up to us uh, as creative individuals to figure out who is worth targeting and what they need um, and what problems they're experiencing. Um, And so the fact that we now have such a fragmentation in the way that people are interacting with each other, um, people are using different platforms, people are inspired by different things, It's, you know, it's harder to advertise and to market in the the monolith. Um, There's not one-size-fits-all solutions. Um, But what that means is that when you are able to reach somebody, you're generally able to reach them with a message that is more targeted to their specific desires, and thereby you have a much greater chance of being effective in achieving your aims. Um, And so I prefer to go hyper niche in terms of marketing messaging. I prefer to um, have the opportunity to understand the audiences that I'm targeting. Um, and that's something that we now have tremendous capacity to do that we didn't have even 10 years ago. Um, and so you know, in terms of workload, maybe it's greater, but in terms of efficacy, um, when those messages go out, um, I believe that we now have the scalpel when before we were using a machete. Um, And so I would rather be living in this world where everything is splintered um, and I have to go chasing um, micro niches than I would um, having everything be one size fits all because I think that that's actually tremendously inefficient and it's the reason why we've gotten rid of it.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great answer. I mean, it really feels like there is uh, strategically going into the niche areas is just a natural evolution of the available technology we have mm-hmm. and uh, the growth in the number of people in the world and their need for value um, are there tactics though are there specific tactical uh, choices that you might make in uh, when it comes to launches are there di- different platforms used for different purposes do you think re- re- reaching yes. different people yeah
1: of course um, and this is why it all comes back to understanding your audience, understanding your avatar. So that's the kind of thing that we would work through in that kind of phase. Um, it's impossible for me to make a blanket statement of like, this works here, because um, it depends on
0: who you're talking to, and so. So, so maybe like a Twitter, you know, who, who hangs out on Twitter, do you think?
1: Oh, I mean, lots of people, millions of people. It depends, are you, like, there's, the, the question isn't which platform the question is yeah. which people and then from the people choose the platform
0: yeah so I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you you know my, my broad brush statement and you can push back on it um, Facebook Facebook is uh, my school classmates um, uh, Twitter is uh, engineers tend to be maybe more engineering LinkedIn is is more of my business contact mm-hmm. so I might have like this broad brush thinking is it do I need to be opening my mind to to think about it differently?
1: Um, I think for you to use it for your your purposes, different people have different preferences and um, it would be a matter of understanding who you're trying to reach, like where are your clients hanging out, where are your potential clients hanging out Um, and so we'd want to do an investigation into who are your potential clients and then from there we would understand where they're hanging out and then we could develop a content strategy around that platform.
0: Okay, that makes sense. I've, we've gone and covered the basic areas that we wanted to. Um, this has been an awesome time with you, Erica. I really appreciate it, and I hope we get a chance to do another panel soon. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to share with us?
1: Um, thank you for having me. It's great to connect with you and uh, really support the work you're doing.
0: Thank you very much. Take care. <laughs>